Several years ago, I had the opportunity to read a book called The Great Evangelical Recession. And in that book, John Dickerson identifies six factors that he believes will crash the American evangelical church if changes aren't made. And these factors, you know, just were mind-boggling. Probably the most disturbing factor out of all six is the fact that the modern church can't retain its own children. Research shows that over 50% of kids born and raised in the church will leave the church by their 20s, many never to return. Does that bother you as much as it bothers me? Now, I don't believe the church is going to crash. There'll always be a remnant, amen? And yet during these days, as, as the culture is impacting the church, many of our youth are leaving. Josh McDowell reports that 69% of evangelical teens leave the church after high school. Lifeway Research said 70% of the millennium generation have left the church by age 23. And as he shares about these six factors, talks about lack of finances, talks about lack of leadership, talks about our failure to retain our own children, all these things, he says there's only one solution. And that's disciple-making. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we ought to get in a holy huddle and sing kumbaya. When I say disciple-making, I'm talking about inviting and investing. I'm talking about inviting people to come to faith in Christ through repentance and faith. That's evangelism. And then once they do investing in them to teach them to observe all that Christ command, that's discipleship. So if you have your copy of the Word of God, I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter 1 and verses 16 through 20. Notice what the Scripture says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, look at verse 17, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Look at verse 18. And immediately, the Scripture says, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, notice what they were doing, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard servants, 
and followed him. You know, it's a very interesting thing when Jesus calls Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when he calls them, they're doing two things. They're casting a net, and they're mending a net. Isn't that interesting? When we talk about casting a net in church life, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about evangelism. And that word used for mending in this text is the same word used for equipping our discipleship. And so when Jesus calls these men, they're casting a net and they're mending a net. What a picture of what these men would do for the rest of their lives. Now, during our time together, here's what I want to do. I want to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus so that you can help others know and follow him. During our time together, I want to help you understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ so that you can help others know and follow him. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to see truth from your word. And God, I pray that, that we would really understand what it means to be a disciple. Lord, this is the only solution. This is the only solution, the only strategy that will work for the church. Making disciples who make disciples. Help me, Lord, to share your word. And we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As we examine this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice two things. The first thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice the men that he called. The men that he called. You see it in the text. He called Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Let's consider these men. Simon Peter, like many of us, had a foot-shaped mouth, right? He was always getting his foot in his mouth. He was always ready for confrontation. He was so ready to rush in before thinking like some of us do. And yet Peter gets a bum rap. He doesn't always get it wrong, right? Do you remember Matthew 16 where Jesus asked the question of the disciples whom the men say that I am? And it was Peter who stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he didn't always get it wrong. Andrew, the Bible tells us he was an evangelist. He was always bringing people to Jesus. Listen, he knew who Jesus was and what he was to do. Bring people to to Jesus. Listen, how about you? Are you sharing the gospel or are you living in such a way where you live out and flesh out the gospel 
you reflect the glory of God whereby you can bring people to Jesus? Andrew did. He was always bringing people to Christ. How about James? James was the son of Zebedee. He was the first one of the twelve to be martyred. He not only professed Christ, but he was willing to die for the Lord Jesus. He was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Listen, these men were privy to some things that we weren't privy to, the other disciples. They walked with Jesus in a close, intimate way. I call it Jesus traveling D group, right? They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus cast out devils. They saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration where He was transfigured and they were allowed to see His glory. Now the rest of the disciples didn't see the glory of Jesus the way that Peter, James, and John did. So you have James. He not only professed faith in Christ, but listen, he was willing to give his life. Why? Because he followed Jesus. And oh, what a difference that makes. John. John authored more books of the New Testament than any other writer. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote more books of the Bible than any of the other 12. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation. I always wondered, you know, he's writing his book. I know he's inspired by the Spirit of God, but I wonder if he asked God and God let him write the disciple whom Jesus loved. You ever think about that? Three things I want you to understand about these men. The first thing is this. They were blue-collar workers. They were all fishermen, right? This wasn't by accident. This was by design. They knew the importance of hard work. And Jesus didn't go to the schools of theology of the day or try to gather up some Pharisees. He called ordinary men blue-collar workers. Second thing I want you to notice about these men is they had no formal religious education. They were not trained formally. Jesus bypasses their schools of theology and goes to the seashore and calls out these men. And the Bible says immediately... They left their nets and they followed Jesus. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they, they were just amazed at the power and authority that the disciples had. Notice Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Some of your translations say they were amazed. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, listen, friend, let me tell you this. That's the difference that makes the difference. Amen? I've been to seminary. I've got degrees. But I want you to know that will never replace or take the place of spending time with Jesus. That's where the power is. That's where the authority is. Because you spend time with Him. They're blue-collar workers. They had no formal training. And the last thing, I believe they were all young men. Probably the oldest was Simon Peter. We know that he was married. We know that he had a mother-in-law. Jesus went to his house and healed her one afternoon so that she could serve them a meal. You recall? I believe the disciples were teenager, with the exception of Simon Peter. And here's, here's where I'm going with that. The reason I, There are lots of reasons, but one reason I think is this. Do you recall when Jesus told Simon, go down to the dock, cast a line, and you'll catch a fish? Probably a redfish is what I'm thinking. Maybe a speckled trout, but if it was a speckled trout, it was a big one. The kind we all want to catch. Inside the mouth was money, right? You remember? There was enough money inside the mouth of the fish to pay not only Jesus' taxes, he was in his early 30s, we know, but also Peter's taxes. He was probably in his early 20s, but the rest of the disciples were all young men. They were probably teenagers. John may have been the youngest, like a kid brother to the Lord Jesus. Maybe 13, 14 years old. Consider the men He called. Now, if God could use these 12 ordinary men, what do you suppose He could do with us if we were completely surrendered to Him? Huh? What do you think God could do with you if you just sold out to Jesus? If you completely surrendered yourself to Him, if you yielded your life to Him, what could He do? But there's not only the men He called, listen, I want you to see, and this is where it gets good, the meaning of His calling. The meaning of His calling. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This is so cool. The meaning of disciple is found in the calling itself. Now, I want you to notice verses 17 and 18 again. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And the Bible says, and immediately 
they left their nets and followed him. Several characteristics I want you to see about a disciple of Jesus Christ. And incidentally, all of us are disciples, right? You know, the Bible only uses the term Christian three times in the New Testament, and two of those times are in a derogatory fashion. I believe it's in Acts 13 where the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. How many times is the word or the term disciple used in the New Testament? 269 times. And so clearly the preferred term for a believer in Jesus is disciple, right? And every one of us who know Christ through repentance and faith are disciples of Jesus. But the problem that Dickerson identified in his book is the fact that we have too many undiscipled disciples. Say that really fast five times. We have too many undiscipled disciples. That's why we want you to come to equipping classes. That's why we want you to be under the sound of the gospel week after week during our time of worship. That's why we want you to be in a life group. That's why we want you to be, yes, even in a D group. Why? Because we don't want you to be an undiscipled disciple. Right? Our mission statement, what is it? Exalt the Savior. Make disciples. Equip the saints. It's even in our mission statement. We want you to be a discipled disciple. And so let's look at the characteristics found in the calling. The first characteristic is this. A disciple follows Jesus. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Today, in the 21st century, here's what it means. It means to walk with Him and to learn from Him. You might want to jot that down. It means to walk with Him and to learn from Him. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. You live as He lived. You love as He loved. You Lead as He led. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. When you get there, say word. And He said to all, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny self means to say no to self, and that's hard to do. How many of you know that's hard to do? Why? Because we always want to make it about us. Listen, friend, when you trusted Jesus, when you repented and believed, 
It's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus and others than you. What a great way to spell joy. Jesus, others, you. That's where the joy happens. When it's not all about us, but it's about Him and His kingdom. It's about the saints of God. And then self comes last. Joy. Deny self. Say no to self. And then secondly, He says, take up your cross daily. Now that means a whole lot of things. But I'll tell you what it means today. It means you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't deny Him. You deny self. But you identify with Christ. When you think of the cross, what do you think of? You think of the Lord Jesus. Paul said it this way, but reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ. And that's the way we present ourselves to God, those who are dead to sin, but alive to God in Him. And then he says, follow me, walk with me, and learn from me. You see, Jesus is seeking that deep, intimate relationship with us. He longs for us to walk with Him, to spend time with Him, and to learn from Him and His Word. But so much of the time, we're too busy, we say, to spend time with God in His Word and in prayer. Next week, we're going to resume the Pray Like Paul series, and we're going to talk about that. But listen, you're not too busy. Make time to spend with God. Make time to spend with Him. A disciple follows Jesus. A disciple not only follows Jesus, but a disciple is formed by Jesus. What do you mean? See, Jesus is making a tremendous future tense promise here. He's saying, listen, if you walk with me, I'm going to make you become more like me. And that's the beautiful picture of the sanctification process, right? That's the process that Jesus, the process of maturity and growth in Christ that He wants to accomplish in every one of our lives. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith in the book of Hebrews. And He makes this promise, listen, if you walk with Me, if you spend time with Me and in My Word, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mold and shape and fashion your life to where you look more like me. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Look at verse 7. So neither is he that plants nor he that waters anything, but only God 
who gives the growth. Jerry Bridges says it this way, sanctification is a work that God does, but it requires our effort. Listen, you and I can't grow ourselves. Only God can do that. And it's going to be a slow process. Spiritual growth takes time. Those of you who are in the Bible class on Wednesday night, you saw principles of spiritual growth. Uh, Pastor Brian did a tremendous job sharing the principles of spiritual growth. And the first principle is this, spiritual growth takes time. It takes time for God to grow a man or a woman. But listen, I believe the great effort on our part is not trying to work it up in the flesh. The great effort on our part is to align ourselves for growth. To get ourselves in a position where we can receive from God. That's the great effort. Grace, you might want to jot this down, is never against effort, but it's always against earning. Dallas Willard. Faith is never against effort, but it's always against earning. Listen, you can't earn it. You can't merit it. God is the one who gives the grace. God is the one who matures us and grows us. But our part is to get in a position where we can receive from Him. Look if you would at John chapter 15 and verse 4 and 5. John chapter 15. Jesus is talking about, and we saw it in the Eternal Word series, Jesus is talking about abiding in Him. Notice what He says in verse 4. Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, bears he it is that bears much fruit. Notice the last phrase. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Why is it that we have this great idea that we want to do things in the power of the flesh? That never works. When are we going to learn that? Unless we're abiding in Christ, unless we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit that lives within to control and empower our lives, we can't do a thing. Right? So a disciple is formed by Jesus. I've had the opportunity through the years to invest in young men. And many of the young men that I've invested in are choice servants of God. One such servant is Kevin Celestine. He pastors in Thibodeau. 
Now, I remember when Kevin came and we met. He came on the campus. He came to the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. He said, I'm looking for the pastor. And he talked really funny because he's from St. Lucia, and he speaks with the king's English, or at least then he did more. Now he's, he's becoming Cajunized, I guess you can say. Kevin and I met for two years on Wednesday afternoons for discipleship. And out of all the young men that I've discipled, he, as much as, as the majority, uh, he was kind of more than the majority, he longed for spiritual growth. He spent time in the Word. He spent time in prayer. He shared his faith. He did all the right things where he aligned himself for growth. He prayed for his lost friends. He was burdened about them. He shared Christ with them. He discipled other young men. Kevin had a desire to position himself and align himself for spiritual growth. And those of you who know Kevin know that he's a godly man. Why? Because he pursued him. He pressed in. He leaned in to all that God was doing in his life. He surrendered. He yielded. Is he perfect? No, none of us are. But he's still pursuing the Lord Jesus. When he was in college, I don't know if he still has this email, but even his email was entitled, Follow Him Close. You see, that was his mindset. He wanted to follow the Lord Jesus. A disciple follows Christ. A disciple is formed by Christ. A disciple focuses on others. Notice what it says. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. See, when we follow Jesus, we become passionate about what He's passionate about, right? When you follow Jesus, listen, you become burdened about the things that He's burdened for. Don't miss this. Jesus is passionate about lost people. And we ought to be. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. After his encounter with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, here's how Jesus sums it up. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? The lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel came to you as it was headed to somebody else. Think about that for a moment. The Gospel comes to us as it's headed for somebody else. Meaning, 
when you and I have been impacted and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it ought to be our business to share the gospel and live the gospel and reflect a changed life and all that Jesus can do in our lives. The gospel comes to you because it's headed for somebody else. A disciple follows Jesus. A disciple is formed by Jesus. A disciple focuses. Do you recall the last words that Jesus told His disciples? Depends on where you're at in Scripture, but I like to think there are two. One in Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came to them and said, and you will receive um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I almost got the two scriptures confused. Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, that's the heart of God. And that ought to be our focus on a lost world around us inviting them to come to faith in Christ, and then once they do, investing in them, discipling them. The last one is this. A disciple follows Jesus. A disciple is formed by Jesus. A disciple focuses on others. But notice the last one. Verse 18, a disciple forsakes all to follow Him. Notice what it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, these guys were all in, right? And it cost them everything. It cost them everything. So what have we learned? A disciple follows Jesus no matter what the cost. A disciple is formed by Jesus becoming more like Him as He works in our lives. A disciple focuses on others, inviting them to faith in Christ, and then once they come to faith, investing in them. A disciple forsakes all to follow Him. Now, what do you take away from a message like this? And I want you to listen very carefully. Two things. The first thing is this. God uses ordinary people to accomplish His work. There ought to be an amen. There ought to be a bunch of them. Amen? Listen, if God can use me, He can use anybody. I'm convinced. God uses ordinary people to accomplish His work. Think about those 12 disciples. That ragtag bunch, ordinary men. But God used them to turn the world upside down. I love the saying, God doesn't call the equipped, He equips 
the call. D.L. Moody, when he was being challenged, was being witnessed to and challenged by a man who was a shoe salesman. He worked at the same store as Moody. And the shoe salesman heard an evangelist named Henry Valley share this quote. And everywhere he'd go, he'd share this quote. The world has yet to see what God can do through someone fully surrendered to Him. And that became a mantra for D.L. Moody. And everywhere he went as an evangelist, here in our country and overseas, he shared that quote, the world has yet to see what God can do through someone fully surrendered to Him. How about you? You want to be that man, that woman, fully surrendered to God. The second thing is this. Seek to become a vessel that God can work through. Seek to become a vessel that God can work through. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul lists several metaphors for a disciple in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And one of them is one of my favorites, a vessel fit for the Master's use. Notice what it says in verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Look at verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Notice what it says. Set apart as holy, useful to the Master, ready for every good work. Some translations say prepared for every good work. How about you? When you look at the landscape of your life, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Christ? We here at Living Word want to help you as a disciple become disciples.